And uh, it's, uh, we hear a lot about grace in the church, about God's grace. So defining grace is not a problem. Defining what grace is is not a problem. I mean, it's very clear. Uh, it's talked about a lot that it means unmerited favor. It's God's favor to us, undeserved, that he gives to us. But defining it's not a problem. But confining God's grace is where we get into trouble. And we struggle with this because what happens is that we start thinking, okay, if God gives us grace, but how do I have to fulfill, like Stephen just talked about, you know, my giving. Do, do, do I, if God's grace is to me, then why do I need to give? Why do I need to do anything? If it's unmerited favor, then I don't need to do anything in my life. So here's the, here's the key. And uh, this will help all of you that have struggled between grace and law and how that law applies to our life. It is God's grace that drives us through love to do what he says to do. It is not the opposite, that we do what he says to do to get his love so we can experience his grace. Okay, we're done. That's great. If you got that, then you're on your way, man. See, but what ends up happening is, is that we, we, don't, we don't understand as God's people because, we, because of our own insecurities, our own identities that we deal with. We don't we don't understand the realization that we are coming to God from a place of love, not getting love. That God has already made his decisions about what he's going to do. Now, we do what the word says to do because God said, Jesus said, in fact, if you love me, obey me. So do what I said to do. But notice it comes out of love. It's not out of just obedience that you better do it or I'm not going to love you. That isn't what he said at all. What he did say was, is that, look, if you love me and you're experiencing me in my presence, then you need to do what I said to do. And that's really why we have so, why we struggle so much with uh, sin in our lives and why we struggle so much with this whole idea of the law, because we somehow think that if I do everything right, then God will bless me. And you got to understand, you have to get this in your heart that it's completely the opposite. See, that's what religion does to us. Religion says, do, jump through all these hoops and then God will be with you. God says, no, I'm with you. Now you can, I give you the ability to jump through all those hoops. And there's a huge difference between those two, those two aspects. So when we talk about grace, we don't have a problem defining what grace is. Lots of teaching on grace. Some of you that are like me that grew up more of a Wesleyan tradition, you heard a lot about grace, but you also heard a lot about law, and you heard a lot about you got to do all these things, and man, our altars were full every week with, but the problem, you know, they were because of just all the different things that were like, man, I'm just so inadequate, it's not right, I, I, I'm, my life isn't right, my, I'm not serving God right, and, and so we constantly dealt with that because we never came to the truth or the idea that we don't get God's love just because we do everything right. We get God's love because Jesus did everything right. Look, if you can make it on your own, you don't need Christ. And if anything, the law, people say, why do we, you know, we're reading through the Old Testament, you know, right now in the 90-day reading that we're doing. And, and so, like, we just finished, I'm into the book of, uh, I started in the book of Judges today. And, uh, you know, when we, talk about the, when we talk about the law, why do, we, why do we have the law? I mean, why do we have all these rules? You read Leviticus and Numbers and you go to Deuteronomy and you're like, whoa, man, all, all this stuff. There's nobody that can do that. You know what? That's exactly right. Nobody can do that. 
That's why you needed Christ. The law shows us that we need Christ. That's exactly what it shows us. It, it brings us to the clarity that there is no way I can jump through all these hoops to get to God. There just is no way. I can't. I, even, even if I did really good one day, I, I won't do good every day. And so what we have to do is come to the realization that it is through Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, not the eliminator of the law, but the fulfillment of the law that you and I experience what God has for us. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. I'll just encourage myself today. All right. Grace is unmerited favor. So we can find it, and that's when we get into trouble. Grace refers to the condition of being given or shown favor, especially by someone in a position to exercise goodwill by meeting a particular need. So grace in the scripture is not just talking about a position of God, how God treats mankind, but it's a word that's used about humanity and how we treat people as well. If we're in a position to do good and we do good with what we have because we're in that position to people who maybe aren't good, who don't deserve it, who haven't earned it, then we are following the same principle of grace that God has taught in his word. Grace is the divine means by which God makes himself everything we need to utterly we need to utterly abound. It's where God, it's through God's grace that we receive everything that we need. God makes himself available to us with everything that we need to utterly abound. W.H. Griffith Thomas is a great writer who said this, grace means more, far more than we can put into words because it means nothing less than the infinite character of God himself. It includes mercy for the undeserving and unmerciful. Help for the helpless and the hopeless. Redemption for the renegade and repulsive. Love for the unloving and unlovely. Kindness for the unkind and unthankful. And all this in full measure and overflowing abundance because of nothing in the the object or the individual. All of that that God gives us, not because of anything in us. And because everything in the giver, God himself. Because it is in his nature to love. Because God is love. How long has love existed? Love has existed eternally with God. It is God. It is who God is. His nature, his characteristics of love. So when we talk about his love, it, it's far more than we can even express in words because it's like, it's like blessing somebody who totally doesn't deserve it. And you and I are the ones that totally don't deserve it. And yet God still does this for us. And look, what that does to, you know, people say, well, don't say that God gives it to you freely because if you say it like that, then people will sin. Well, one, people are going to sin no matter what. But the truth is, is that what drives us to live more holy and righteous lives is the love that God has shown us when we did not deserve it. How great. I mean, Romans says it so clear. The love of God is made manifest among us. It's demonstrated to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were lost, he didn't come for perfect people, but he had a vision for perfect people. He didn't come for saints, but he had a vision for saints. But he knew that the only way to change and to transform lives is that he was going to have to be the one to make the effort to to express that grace to you and I. Richard Rohr said it like this, only a personal experience of unconditional, unearned, and infinite love and forgiveness 
can move you from the normal worldview of scarcity to the divine world of infinite abundance. And that is so powerful when you, when you contemplate that, that look, we live right now, and, and you, I think you would agree with this, that there is a worldview that is developing consistently of scarcity, that we're living in a world of, in our state of scarcity, in our United States of scarcity. But listen, now what's going on here is going on globally of scarcity. It's a worldview of scarcity, that there's not enough, we'll not have enough, we're not going to be able to do it. There won't be enough jobs. There won't be enough money. There won't be enough ideas. There won't be enough food. All those kinds of things. Listen, the grace of God says to you and I that we have to change that worldview. That we don't live in fear in our lives because we live in a divine. We're of the kingdom. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Can I get a better amen? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We live in the divine world of infinite abundance. You know, sometimes I think the way that John 10.10 is being talked about today, it says the thief came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the scarcity worldview. Steal, kill. You're not going to make it unless you steal, you kill, you destroy. You got to destroy the competition. You got to destroy your advert. You got to destroy all these things. And here's what Jesus said. I've come that you could have life and have it more abundantly. Not scarcity, not getting just along, not surviving. I'm determined 2021 will be my year of abundant living. Amen. And look, what who everybody can live in abundance when everybody else is living in abundance. But when you're in a time of famine, when you're in a time of difficulty, you go back in the Old Testament, the word the Lord gave us last year out of the out of the book of Genesis, where it talks about how that that Isaac sowed in a time of famine, that he didn't have good land to sow into. He didn't have good opportunities where he was at. Everybody went to Egypt because they thought that's where the blessings were. But he, God said, you stay right where you are. And I'm telling you, friend, look, stay right where you are and let God bless you in the midst of the famine in the world because you should not, as God's people, and you and I should not have, having experienced his grace, his abundant favor towards us, we should not live in a scarcity worldview that we cannot make it, we might not get by, that we have to, look, we have to rely on government to fix all of our problems. That's baloney. We do not need government to fix all our problems. What we need is God to fix all of our problems. God is the answer. And so our worldview, this is really good preaching, Pastor. Amen. We have to have that infinite abundance, that infinite worldview of abundance. That's what Rohr said. That's when the doors of mercy blow wide open for you and I. That's when you begin to understand the scale-breaking nature of the gospel. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Grace is God's medicine that heals our bitterness in our lives. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So grace is that ability that helps us break the root of bitterness in this world, that we're not bound up and fall short of that grace in our lives. It's the foundation where we can stand firm in the midst of shake in a shaky environment. Romans 5, 2 says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 2 Timothy 2, 1, 
and it's so awesome because he, he says in 2 Timothy 2.1 that you and I are to be strong in God's grace. Be strong in the grace of God. You know, all of 2 Timothy is like P Paul's last writing. It's his last book. It's where he says, I finished my course, I've run my race, my time has come to an end. And in all of that, so he's telling Timothy all these things to help Timothy and, and to help the church in the future in the midst of difficulty. And he says, be strong, Timothy. He says, son. In fact, in one translation, it says, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace, which is your true strength, found in the anointing of Jesus and your union with him. Man, that's powerful. In the Weiss translation, it says it like this, as for you, therefore, my child, be clothed with inward strength by the grace which is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me personally in the presence of many witnesses, these things commit as a trust to trustworthy men who are of such character as to be capable of teaching others also. God calls us to be strong. 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul talks about how that when he was in trouble and he had to stand before the judge, that no man stood with him. Nobody. Everybody was gone. None of his disciples were there. None of the other disciples. Were there. He said, I stood alone. But then he goes on and says in 2 Timothy 4, 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. What does God call us to do? What is he asking us to do? He's asking us to fall into his presence, into his glory and say, Lord, Look, I don't have the strength to do this, but you can give me the strength to do this. Lord, I can't do this in and of myself, but you can. And you say, you know, what we struggle with as humans is, is that we are typically not ready to say, God, you do this until we've exhausted ourselves and all our resources, all our knowledge, and then we'll fall on our faces before God and say, Lord, help me. I need help. I need help. Many years ago, uh, and uh, uh, you know, my preaching was was very different. I mean, it was good, but it was just you know, I'd study and I'd get everything ready. I didn't spend a lot of time praying, and uh, you know, I just God give me your ideas, your thoughts, and I'd get into the Word and I'd have all kinds of information and application because I'm an exhorter by nature, and and so as I'm as I'm as I'm prepping all of this, and then it was about ten years ago that the the Lord just brought me to a place in my life. And he said, this is how I want you to pray before you get up in the pulpit. Father, I cannot do this without you. I cannot do this without you. You know, I didn't pray that. I, I mean, there may have been a few times when I was in some things that I was like, whoa, this is a lot bigger than me. But you know, coming to church and pastoring, I mean, I've been doing this almost 40 years now. And so, you know, you... I mean, you could probably pick any verse and I could, the Lord had helped me to be able to preach it. So, but I was like, Lord, I don't want to say what I want to say. I want to say what you want to say. So I just throw myself at your grace today, Lord God, and say, guide me, lead me by your Holy Spirit. How often in life we go through our day to day just relying on our own resources and our own, and that's why we end up in that scarcity mindset. But when we lean into the infinite power and ability of God's grace, all the possibilities that are available to us. That's why he says, nobody stood with me, but the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. 
Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if you read that chapter 4 about, look, chapter 4, what, he ta- what he's talking about there is, is that I'm going through bad times, I'm going through good times. He says, but here's what I've learned in the midst of all the bad times and all the good times. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look, God never promised there wouldn't be bad times. In fact, it says, uh, in, in, uh, if you caught me with Dr. Barkley this morning on TV, it, it says that in Isaiah, he said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment will be shown to be in the wrong. God never said there wouldn't be judgment, against, that people wouldn't come against you. God never said there wouldn't be plans against you. But what he said is they will not work. They will not work in all the tongues. He didn't say people wouldn't talk bad about you. I don't know why we're shocked when people talk bad about us. But there are people talking bad about you. Well, here's the thing. If you stand for anything, there are people talking bad about you. Now, if you do nothing, say nothing, and become nothing, then nobody cares. But the minute you try to become something, the minute you say something, the minute that you do something, here it comes. But the Lord, Paul said, strengthened me to do what I needed to do. 1 Timothy 1.12 says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, giving me this ability to be able to do what needed to, to, I needed to do. It's interesting, as you look at this word enabled in the actual Greek text, it's, a, it's what's in the, we have in our language, we have past, present, and future tense. They have in the Greek several different tenses that they use. One of them is called the present passive imperative. And what this means is, is that uh, when you talk about the, a, word that's in the, a verb that's in the present passive imperative, here's what it means. You continuously are active in your cooperation doing this. Continuously. That's why Paul said, I thank God who has enabled me. It wasn't a one-time deal that God came down and like, bing, here you go. It was every day that this guy was being enabled to do what he had to do, to face what he had to face, to get through what he had to get through. That's why you and I, we need that grace in our lives. We need that experience of his grace uh, in our lives to help us to be able to do what we're called to do. And we need it every, you know, the old hymn, I need you every hour, every hour. Lord, I need you. Help me Help me get through this. Help me deal with this. Help me with, look, we still should study. We should still prepare ourselves. We should still get, but we say, God, I need you to help me to do this. Lord, it won't work without you. I appreciate, you know, I know you appreciate the study, the time I've put into this, but God, I need you. I need your help. I need you to guide me through this. Hallelujah. Someone one time made an acronym up of the word grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Everything that we have is because of Christ, not because of our own merit. See, the truth is, and I don't have time to get into this, but those of you that are in my authority of the believers master class, you know this. We had everything, and we gave it up. 
We had everything. Mankind had everything. Look, Adam and Eve had everything in the garden. Everything. They had, they had eternity. They, through the tree of life, they had everything. They had God with them every day. They had his presence with them. They had all the food that they would need. They had all the environment, protection, everything. They had a world to live in and a world that they were told to take care of and to watch over. They had it all. Mankind has had it all. And what mankind did with everything he had is he surrendered it to an adversary who's done nothing but try to destroy it from the beginning. But through Christ, Jesus, you and I can experience God's riches again at Christ's expense. We can experience restoration in our lives. We can be established in our lives. We can be strengthened, as it says, by his grace in our lives. And we can be supported, held up. I love Isaiah 41.10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And as far as I understand from Scripture, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So the Father is declaring that my righteous right hand, he'll keep you up, don't worry about it. I remember standing in, the, in Vietnam, man, just to, I'm, I'm getting ready to go into the country and we're smuggling Bibles in. Some of you heard me tell this before. We're getting ready to smuggle Bibles into the country there and I'm going to be sharing uh, with some of the uh, underground church that's there, churches of thousands and thousands of people that uh, they do their baptisms out in fields, in ditches that they dig for the cattle to be able to baptize people in the middle of the night because of communism that's so strong there. And I'm standing in line, and, and I'm getting, and, I, and I'm thinking the whole time, this tremendous fear started coming over me about, because I saw this communist Vietnamese soldier who's looking at people's passports. He's screaming at the Vietnamese people that are trying to get in, back into the country. He's throwing their passports back at them. He's yelling at them. I mean, he's fierce. He's a, he, you know, I mean, it just, it just seems very fierce, the environment let alone that I'm smuggling Bibles into the country and thinking I'm going to be in a communist prison the rest of my life. And so I'm standing there in line. And while I'm standing there, I, I mean, it, there was about probably 10 people ahead of me. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, Lord, why? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why did, I, why did, you, why did you ask me to come here? Why did you ask me to come to this country? And, and I'm, I'm fighting with God about why. Why am I here? I'm thinking I want to just get back on the plane and go home to the safety of Breckenridge, Michigan, right? And inside me, this verse that I knew out of Isaiah 41.10, I said, Lord, I need help. I need your help. And this verse came up to me, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed. And from that moment on, as I stood in that line, all that was running through my head was not looking at that Vietnamese soldier any longer, but just thinking that verse, Isaiah 41.10, that the righteous one is upholding me by his grace today. The righteous one is upholding me. You know, when I got up in the front of that line and I handed my passport to that guy and he looked at me and then he looked at the passport and he stamped it and I got to go in. Now, we weren't through customs yet. So I get into customs and I think, well, this is it, man. We're going to go through customs now. They're going to go through my bag. They're going to find them Bibles and I'm going to go to prison for the rest why did I do this? Why am I here? And then it came back to me. Lord, I need help. 
Isaiah 41.10. You can uphold me. You can help me. You can help me, Lord. So I, I started saying to my, fear not, for you are with me. Take my bag. You have to pick your own bag up and take it over, and you put it on, you know, the, the thing. And, and I laid mine out there on the, the uh, table. And uh, before I even opened it, the guy that was checking the bags winked at me and sent me through. say, well, it's just a coincidence. Well, you believe whatever you want to believe, but uh, I'm telling you right now, God taught me about how to not be afraid. Now you say, well, have you been afraid since? You better believe it. But Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not. So God tells us that we are to be strong in his grace. So I want to just give you a couple of ideas about how you and I can grow in the grace of God. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, but grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. One translation says it like this, but continue to grow and increase in God's grace and intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May he receive all the glory both now and until the day eternity begins. Amen. So how do we grow in the grace of God? How do we grow in grace? Now, first of all, understand that God has given, already made grace available to us in full capacity. It's kind of like the idea, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but when I was a younger kid, my mom would take me to the store. And she, didn't, she would buy me a pair of shoes, and she would check those shoes. You know how you do the thump down on the end of the shoe, see where the toe is? And she would always say this, because I was growing so fast. You know, I wear a size 15 today. And she would say, well, here's the thing, you'll grow into it right? You'll grow into them. She says, I'm going to buy bigger because you're going to grow into it eventually. So that, I want you to know that that's what God says about you. He gives you his grace and then he says, now look, I'm expecting you to grow into this, okay? You, got, you already got it. You already got the capacity to grow. The question is, will you grow, right? Will you grow? Will you, you know, will you allow that? So how do you grow? I mean, how do you grow in God's grace? I'll give you three words. You can write these down if you want to. One is forgiveness, one is mercy, and one is service. The first way that we grow is through forgiveness. We grow in God's grace through forgiveness. To whom much is given, much is required. You've been forgiven so much, you learn about God's grace through forgiving others. That's how you grow in grace. Well, Pastor, I just thought like if I pray for grace. You can't pray for grace because it's already been given to you. You have to grow into grace. Forgiveness. And so who do we forgive? Well, it's easy to forgive those who we like. But what about all the people we don't like? What about all the people that did us bad, did us wrong? What about all the people we just want to punch in the nose? Or drive off the road? you know, because they cut us off. See, what we have to learn in our lives is that, is that forgiveness. And that forgiveness, when we, when we increase our capacity to forgive, it increases our capacity to receive forgiveness. To whom much is given, much is required. It doesn't take long when you talk with people to find out who they're struggling forgiving does it? Because they'll bring up stuff. You know, you, they'll bring up people. They'll bring up politicians. They'll bring up whatever. I mean, 
They'll bring up their past employers. They'll bring up their kids. They'll bring up... Look, we as God's people have a requirement upon us that much has been given to us in forgiveness. I mean, our debt was deep and God forgave it. He made the choice to forgive it. And so what God requires of us is to give forgiveness to others. To help people overcome, to not feel like they're indebted to us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. That's what Jesus taught. That's the principle of the kingdom. Well, you didn't like that one, so I'll move on to the next one. <laughs> Just remember, Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So you also must do. Wow. The second way is by showing mercy. Now, mercy is when we help people that can't help themselves. Mercy is when we help those who are widows, who have no other... And when I talk about widows, I'm not talking about people with a whole bunch of family that can help them. I'm talking about people who have nowhere else to go. I'm talking about orphans who have no family to take care of them, people whose families rejected them. See, what we, what we have to, uh, whether they deserve it or not, that what we're required to do is to show mercy. Now, always remember this, and I, I should have probably brought this out there's a, before. There's a big difference between trust and forgiveness. We do not trust everybody, but we do forgive everybody. Amen. And we give mercy, but we don't, look, we don't, we don't trust everybody that we're giving mercy to. Either you're giving it or you're not giving it, but you're not giving it in conditions to get something. That's not mercy. God gave to you whether you ever responded to him or not. James chapter 2, verse 13, and this is really tough, man. I mean, the way this reads out, for judgment is without mercy. And this is what James is trying to get across to us, the, the half-brother of Jesus. For judgment, your judgment be, will be without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Your judgment, the judgment you will receive will be without mercy. Because he says, listen, mercy triumphs over judgment. So I've had times where, look, I was running my mouth about something and just I was mad at something or somebody or something. And the Lord really reproved me about that and said, look, you keep sowing that over them. Don't be surprised when you reap it back yourself. Because the Bible is so clear about this. What you sow is what you reap. And so if you want to sow, reap mercy, you have to show, you have to sow it. You have to give mercy to people. That's not that you're saying, look, it's okay that you did this. It's okay that you hurt this. It's all right that you live this way. But you're showing them mercy and compassion, drawing them closer to God instead of pushing them further away from God. As one brother said it, and I thought it was so powerful, the love you have for God is shown by the person you love the least. Well, I surely don't like that. Because I want God to measure the love I have for him by the three people I love the most. The last one is service. Grace grows in our lives through service because service is a mindset, not a program. 
Because service, listen, involves sacrifice. It always does. You know, we're kind of shocked about this. If you're going to get in children's ministry, make some sacrifices. You'll have all kinds of opportunity to sacrifice. Serving little kids, making a big difference, I mean, in their lives, impacting them. You know, a lot of these kids that are on the stage, they were in our children's ministry. People made sacrifices to get the word into them. You know, some of them were in our youth ministry. Chuck and Carrie made big sacrifices to put the word into them, to love them, to give up their Sunday nights coming down here and doing youth ministry with Sunday nights, right? Or whatever it was. And the, yeah, so the, the, all these sacrifices that they made, ministry, service is sacrifice. Service doesn't come out of a place of comfort or a, a, a place of, that, we, that we don't have to make any sacrifice. It's a place where we have to make. To be an usher is, a, you know, especially, look, it's snowing, it might be icy, uh, you know, you're a counter, you're an usher, you're a greeter at the door. You know, I just, look, there are just days that you just don't feel like doing it. I didn't, there are days I really don't want to preach to you. I'm just like, you know, I think I'll just stay home today. You know, you guys do it, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> Service involves sacrifice. Jesus said this, Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Grow in grace. Grow in his grace. Let this year be that limitless grace that's available. You're going to grow in it. You can grow into it. Or you can stagnate right where you're at right now. The three major ways. See, isn't it interesting that we didn't say that you grow in grace through knowledge? You grow in grace through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as you grow in your relationship with him. But you grow in grace First of all, because you forgive. Second of all, because you're merciful. And thirdly, because you serve. If you're not serving, find a place to serve. And where's the really cool thing is serve where you can't get anything back. That's really awesome service. Hallelujah. And make a difference. In all of that, your gra the grace of God will grow in your life. Stand up with me if you would. Father, thank you. Go ahead, Chuck, you can get ready. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can grow in your grace. Thank you, Lord God, that we can be strong in your grace. And Father, I pray, Father God, for those who maybe are in a place right now where they're struggling with your grace in their lives, Father God. They're hurting. They're, they're struggling. I pray that that grace, Lord God, would become more real and relevant to their lives in the days ahead and that they would be refreshed through that grace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Go ahead, Chuck. Amen. Good.